It's an interesting message title, but this is another series. This is my series of the book of James at the moment. I think we're in the week three. And it's a funny thing when you start talking about the word equality. Because the world desires the concept of equality. And we all think it's a good thing because it sounds like a good thing. Uh, but the truth is we don't have it. And most of the time we don't even understand what the word equality actually fully means. Today words are used and their meaning sounds right, but it's almost deceptive. Years and years ago a fellow named Al Gore came up with this concept of global warming. Now they've changed the concept of global warming into climate change. Now, I'm not getting into a debate of whether or not you believe in it or not, or whether or not this is happening or that, okay? I hold to the value of climate change because our climate changes, and it changes on a regular basis. If you live in Queensland, which I know you all do, this year we've had rain. If you go back two years ago, there was no rain. And we were in a drought. Actually, they think we're still in a drought, but anyway. That's what happens when you build all your dams so far away from the coastline. But they found, I had to laugh, this is about happened about a year, year and a half ago. They found this Viking village in Norway. And it had been cased in ice. And some brilliant scientist with some PhD and more qualifications than I can poke a stick at came up with the concept that this is the proof of climate change. This is the proof of global warming. Because a Viking village had been melting, or the snow that had been melting around it. And I came up with this concept, me with no PhD, said, that's proof of climate change because once upon a time there was no snow. So the Vikings moved in and built a village. Then the snow came and it froze over. Then the snow is melting. So now you can see the village. That's got nothing to do with global warming. It's got everything to do with the way our, sh our patterns of our climate actually shift and change. Today, they're using the words last days. They've gone away from the word Armageddon because Armageddon brings in fear and co uh, the concept. Now they use the words last days. And it's almost deceptive because Jesus actually talks about that from now until his returns will be the last days. And this word equality fits into the same concept. We all have the same worth, the same value. But the truth is we're not all equal. We are unique. We share the same worth, but we're not all equal. If I was to challenge Brad to an arm wrestle, and we said right arms only, it would not be equal, Brad. If we changed to the left arm, it might be a different story. But it would not be equal. Our worth doesn't change, but just equality does. Oftentimes, we will treat people in respect as what they can do for us. Their worth to us, not necessarily their worth. And to tell you the truth, if I'm completely 100% honest and transparent, I have done this. And it's something that I constantly am trying to work on and improve and make sure that I don't do it, that I'm not looking at people as what they can give me, but of who they are. Because we often will look to someone as their ability to help me rather than who they are. 
And when we fail to see their true worth rather than their worth to me, we fail to see what is actually beneath the surface. And we only see what we want to see. And James begins to address this to the early church. And it's something that honestly, as people, we still do. We still see people based upon their worth to us rather than their true worth. James starts to discuss the way in which we treat others by how they are dressed and probably by their status, symbol, and by everything else that comes in. And the truth is that God makes no distinguish between people. But James begins to address this in this passage of Scripture. In James chapter 2, if I can get on to it, to 1 to 13. And it says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and there there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in the good place and say to the poor man who is wearing, you stand over there or sit down by the footstool. Have you not made distinguishes amongst yourself and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God yourself and become, uh, did not God choose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor man. It is not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court. Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Da-da. Now first we need to understand that there is a diff, it's interesting separation in Christian life between the individual and the community. Or the church. We are being saved as an individual. And yet the dynamics of Christianity is within a community or as a church. James starts to address the individual talking about why we shouldn't have favoritism. That we shouldn't show people a level of discrimination or partiality. And he goes on to start to describe Jesus in a very interesting term. He says, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, or our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And the way it's written in the original, gives us the belief that Jesus Christ, who is the divine glory. And he talks about the concept that Jesus Christ is the divine glory, all in one simple little phrase. He is the full manifestation of the divine presence and the majesty of the Jews, referring to the Shekinah glory, or God's majesty glory. 
But James is the half-brother of Jesus. They shared a mother. And Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and James is fathered by Joseph. James grew up with Jesus, and he knew everything about Jesus. He knew these bad habits. He knew that he didn't always keep his room cleaned. He knew that his bed wasn't always perfectly made. He knew that sometimes he would spill his, his, his lunch on his garment. He knew all his imperfections. He knew when he got angry. He knew everything about Jesus because he grew up with him. And sometimes when we get to know someone so well, we can become over-familiar with somebody. And we fail to see who they really are or see when God actually wants to use them. There's stories of when Jesus is in Galilee and he's trying to pray for people and their response is, isn't this the carpenter's son? How is it that he is able to perform or trying to perform miracles, heal the sick, raise the dead, but he's just the carpenter's son? He's that little boy who grew up in that house, the fifth house down. But James, James understands and he can see more about Jesus. And we know this because of that simple phrase that James writes, our Lord or glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James is actually known to be one of the first lit letters written. And it's clear in this passage or this little bit that the early church knew that Jesus was God. Unfortunately, as Christians, we can become very prejudiced and very discriminative. Sometimes we can be prejudiced against those who are unsaved. We can be prejudiced of those who don't have what we think we have. We can be prejudiced for all different reasons, just like the world can. Today, we can be prejudiced for many different reasons. You know, we've gone throughout history where uh, people have been prejudiced against the, the blacks, the aboriginals. Racism comes into play. The Chinese, or you can go through every different race. Someone's been discriminated against. It's even a possibility where people can be discriminated whether they're being vaccinated or not. But God does not discriminate. And he is not a respecter of persons. And because God does not, we should not. But it is easier said than done. If a wealthy person, I mean dead set wealthy person, walked into this place, how do we respond? And Jesus, oh sorry, James is actually writing in an age when there is a major, major issue with prejudice. And even if we think we live in an age where there's discrimination, the early Christians lived under worse. There was disputes between the Jews and the Gentiles the slaves and the free, the rich and the poor, the Greeks or the barbarians. But what was really fascinating, that even though they had all these different segregations and different groups, they were able in the early church to rise above these things and worship God together. And it blew the minds of the Romans who ruled the day you couldn't understand how the early Christians were able to see beyond this. 
And James is giving character to this whole situation, saying, hey, we can't be prejudiced. We need to be bigger than our situation. I mean, even Jesus came to stir the pot. As a young child, I knew people who said, you must have been born with a wooden spoon. Because I like to stir the pot. I like to push the buttons. But when we read history, Jesus came to stir the pot. He stirred the misconceptions of religion. He stirred the misconception of what it was to be God's children. But the purpose through stirring is so you mix it all back in together. See, man separates and God unifies. And so when we look at our segregations, when we look at our prejudice, what we're actually looking through is our own humanity. And what God wants to do is actually bring us all back in together, back into this point where we all have the same value. James is encouraging this type of thinking because it didn't come easy. And it doesn't come easy. It's not normal for us to see others as 100% normal. Because we're constantly looking through our natural eyes. And if we're real, I mean look real and you're honest with yourself. Because I know this, when I wrote this, really began to speak to me when I was studying this passage. It's like even the littlest thing can put me off. Even the littlest thing I can find prejudice in. And I have to constantly work at it and see people as God sees them and not in my own humanity. But you have to be honest and truthful with yourself. Now perhaps this is not one of your issues. Awesome. But it's easy to say that we don't discriminate until we do. And what Jesus did on that cross was to break down these barriers. Because he didn't just die for one person. He didn't die for the Jews. He died for all mankind. He died for everyone. He died for the rich and the poor, the slave or the free, the Jew or the Gentile, the male and the females. And every other little title you want to stick under that one. And it's our human nature that wants to build wars, to build the barriers between people, to find something that we can go, oh, that's what separates us. And if you look within the world, it's not hard. It's not hard to find something that we can create a barrier with, that we can discriminate against another person. But James goes on. And he starts to talk about the fact that it can be manifested in the Christian church if we're not careful. And just because we're believers doesn't mean we're exempt from our own human nature. Because if you think we're exempt from our own human nature, that's prejudice. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and there comes a poor man in dirty clothes, do you pay a special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes? Do you say, sit here in the good spot? And to the poor man, uh, yeah, we have a spot, it's up the back. It's up the back or from hiding from everyone else. James begins to paint a vivid picture of what it means to be prejudiced and how easy it is to be attracted to certain things. History tells us that gold rings in Roman times were a sign of wealth. 
The more gold rings and the fancier they were, the more wealth you had. And that there were stores all around the place that you could hire gold rings just to make yourself look worthy. Things really haven't changed that much. Today, people dawn themselves with all the brand name clothing to look the part. People get themselves into mammoth amounts of debt to have something. People buy expensive cars and live in small homes because most people will never see their home, but they will see their car. But if a wealthy person came in, would we pay attention to them? If a wealthy person could offer you something, do we pay attention to that person? Now, just for imagine, just for a second, Imagine if a very famous person, and I don't know who you classify as famous, walked in and sat right now next to you. Perhaps it's Oprah. I don't know. Right? Perhaps it's George Clooney. I don't know. Brad Pitt. I don't know who. Right? Whoever else you think is might be popular or seem to do the good thing or seem to be the famous person. Maybe it's Michael Jordan. I don't know. Maybe it's a famous lawnmower guy. I don't know. Right? But just imagine that someone who was extremely well-known to you sat down right beside you. And then as you were sitting there trying to work out what to say and what to do at that point in time, another famous person walks in and sits down next to you. Now you have a famous person on either side of you. Your mind is going 100 miles an hour because you don't know what to say or what to do. Hoping that... Doesn't come out of your mouth at that point in time. But do we treat celebrities or rich people different to everyone else? If the Queen arrived, the Queen of England arrived here, would we treat her any different than perhaps maybe a single mum? Now, don't forget about those two celebrities. Don't forget they're sitting right next to you. Maybe you don't want to break wind at that point in time, so you're trying to hold it in. Or maybe you have a burp that you're trying to hold in. You don't want to make any noise. You don't want to do the wrong thing. You don't want to embarrass yourselves. And just then, as you're sitting there focusing on those two extremely wealthy people, those celebrities, Jesus rocks up. And he's standing right before us all. Your mind would quickly focus on God and his attention. Your thoughts and behavior. You're now not concerned anymore with who's sitting next to you because you're so focused on who's in front of you. And what James is truly unpacking here is common human nature. As Christians, we're meant to treat everyone the same. A concept that can be difficult at best. It really can. But how do we treat a celebrity the same that we would treat anybody else? Oftentimes, we treat people based on their worth to us, what they can give us or what we can get from them. But that's realistically, it's a sin. How do we treat people here in this church? If a homeless person walked in, and I'm talking about a real homeless person, right? One who hasn't showered in a couple of weeks. 
right? The pictures of uh, the cartoons, you know, the little flies buzzing around, right? Their clothes are ratty and tatty. They haven't been washed. They reek. He hasn't eaten for a while. His beard is even more epic than Dahan's. His hair is everywhere. How would we treat him? See, because James is pointing out something really interesting. He's, not, he's saying that it's not the treatment of the rich person that's wrong. That it's actually the treatment of the person, the poor person that is wrong. That is the problem. And we need to learn how to treat everyone the same. And it doesn't matter whether they drive up in the latest, I don't know, Maserati, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Bugatti, or whether they rock up to the place without any shoes on. Because we need to learn how to treat everyone the same. Because when we don't, it actually reveals the problem with our hearts. In verse 4, it talks about that, have you made distinguishes between, amongst yourself? Have you made distinctions? Have we become judges with evil motives? Because there is a problem with the way we think. Because it's not consistent. And the truth is we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our minds need to change. It's really easy to know when your heart is not right. It's because of the way we treat different people. And there are three reasons why it's wrong. The first shows that we care more about the outward appearance than we do about the heart. The second is that we, it shows we misunderstand who is important and what is important, who is blessed and what it means to be blessed in the sight of God. And three, it shows a very selfish streak in us. I've known people who, are, who appear to be extremely wealthy, but then go bankrupt next week. If you're unaware, there was a company in China that recently foreclosed. It was their largest developer. And their approximate value was $300 billion. And they say that for years beforehand, they were in trouble. And they were trying to cover up the amount of trouble they were in, trying to live a certain way in order to help themselves through it and get their way so it never appeared that they were in true trouble. But Jesus was never a respecter of persons. He didn't look at someone's wealth because when he spoke to the rich rung ruler, he gave them the same advice as he did to someone who was poor. When Jesus turns up onto the scene, he comes across a religion that is extremely prejudiced. And the truth is, when he turns up, they cannot recognize him. They do not recognize him as the Messiah. He's just as a carpenter's son. 
He came in extremely humble beginnings. And at this time of year, as we approach Christmas time, we get to remember, we get to reflect on the fact that he turned up in a humble, humble position. I mean, he was born and placed into a food trough. It would have been more like a stable. Like Another way to put it is a garage. A Jewish garage. That's where he stayed. And the first people that rocked up to visit him were shepherds. Which today probably doesn't sound too bad, but when you're a shepherd, you're a despised person anyway. You're, you're the outcast. Because you smell like sheep. And if you've never smelled a sheep... Right, besides lamb that's cooking that's nice, right? Different ball game. But sheep are smelly. And you live with sheep. So you carry the same smell. And the first people that rock up are shepherds. We're sheep. I can imagine that room stinking and smelling really bad. And before you think that the wise man came and visited him in the same room, they didn't actually visit him at that point in time. Scripture tells him that they don't actually visit him until he's two years old in Egypt. But Jesus was a humble man. And they did not accept him as their Messiah because their expectations were that he was to come as an earthly king. That he was going to ride in on the latest camel. You know, the convertible model. With all the latest upgrades. And because he didn't come as an earthly king, because he didn't come to save them from the Roman rule that they were oppressed from, they could not receive him. They were prejudiced. But Jesus' kingdom was never of this earth. He was never the king of this earth. It is eternity that he is king of. And the Jews, they missed, they missed the Messiah because of the promised one, because he didn't come as their expectations, because they were prejudiced. And how easy it is for us to miss a person, miss a thing, miss something because we are prejudiced. Because it doesn't come in the form that we are expecting. We can miss a gift from God just simply because we're not looking in the right frame of mind. And when I, when I was reading through this passage of Scripture, I was getting a bit of... Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how you read Scripture sometimes. It's like a 4B2 getting smacked across your head, looking at things, and I was like, oh, I'm looking at things wrong here. I'm missing things because, and it's hard to say, I can be a little bit prejudiced. I don't want to be. But when I'm really looking at my, uh, the way I'm seeing things, and I, and I question myself if, if someone who's homeless walked in, would I treat them the same as someone who's extremely wealthy to come in? That's a hard one to answer. But that's something I have to answer. That's something I have to question myself. And if I'm seeking after God, then I'm not looking at what's going to appease me, what's going to make me feel good about myself. I'm looking at what is going to change my 
heart. And it's really important that we don't look at people and what they can give us. But we look at them how God looks at them. We see their worth and their value in the kingdom of God rather than their worth and their value to me. And if I have done that to anyone, I apologize. That was never my intention, but sometimes can be the result. And today, perhaps you need help seeing people as God sees them. Perhaps you, you, know, you don't have an issue. I don't know. Perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to first make sure that he is in the rightful place, that he is our Savior and our Lord. And I invite you to come and talk to me. I'll be down the front. I'll pray with you. I'll stand with you. But if you want God to move in your life in different areas that you need him to move in, if you need him to put things into place that should be put into the rightful place, if you want, if you want to see people as God sees them, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And you receive this prayer as I'm praying. We're going to have morning tea, this tea and coffee, and then afterwards we'll have the glorious AGM, which is terribly exciting, but it is something we legally have to do. If you want to stay, you're more than welcome to stay. We're not prejudiced to anyone. We're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you that you see people for their worth to the kingdom, for who they are, for who you made them, not for what they can give you or for what they can give another person or what they have. Father, we thank you that you move in mysterious ways, that you love us and that you guide us through everything that we are. Bless us. Help us see people as they truly, truly are. Help us see them as you see them. Give us new eyes, fresh eyes, Father. I speak your blessing in your favor amongst your people, over your people, through your people, and with your people. Let them go this week. Let them see as you see. Let them be blessed in all that they do. Give them rest. Give them knowledge. Give them increase. Give them favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.